Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. Dwayne, you're doing well. That was a robust response from the middle aisle. Good to see you, everybody. Glad you're here this morning. If you're new around here and would be kind enough to fill out a welcome card, we would love to have a record of your attendance and help us get to know you better. You can do that by going to the mill.church slash welcome on your smartphone, the mill.church slash welcome, or you can fill out a hard copy at the back. Uh, how many of you just appreciated our worship this morning? Wasn't it awesome? Let's give the band a hand today. Anybody besides me just love hearing Art shred it on the electric guitar? It's just like the best, man. Cool. Well, we want to thank you for coming. If this is new to you, you know, maybe you were raised Catholic or Lutheran or Methodist or Episcopalian or even Baptist, and you look around and somebody's lifting their hand in worship or swaying a little bit. This is just what we do. We're kind of in the middle. We're not so formal that you, you know, can't sneeze if it's not in the bulletin and we're not so liberal that we run around in circles and swing from the chandeliers, but it's really no different than if you uh, were at, you know, a Packer game and, you know, Rogers connects with Adams and everybody goes wild. The only difference is Jesus is the, the focus and the recipient of our excitement and our praise. That's the only difference, really. So... Um, we're not as weird as we may look. We're probably more like you than you think. So uh, again, welcome to church. I'm going to invite up Angela. Where's Angela? There she is, Angela Ellert. Angela is going to share her story of God's faithfulness. This is a year in which each Sunday a different attender at the Mill Church uh, will share a testimony, a tale, of God's goodness. Would you give Angela a warm welcome this morning? So, good morning, everyone. My name is Angela Ehlert, like Pastor Zach said, and this is my story. I was 11 when I gave my heart to Jesus. I was 14 when I was baptized into the Mennonite Church. I lived with my grandparents until I was 21. And I got married in 02 and had four beautiful kids. From 2007 to 2016, it was a gradual thing that started to happen, day after day, year after year. My now ex-husband um, got schizophrenic, and he refused to get the proper help that he needed. And because he didn't get that help, the rest of us suffered from his verbal mental and emotional physical abuse. I struggled with depression for a long time until I got some counseling when I moved here with my kids in 2017. Bob and Laura Culp took us in for a year. After that one year, Bob bought me a trailer house that I worked hard to, at paying him back, and I did. Then I also sold the place. Bob and Laura are are a blessing to me and my family then and now. The Mill Church welcomed me and my kids with open arms. And, it, and if it wasn't for all of you, and my best friend Stephanie, Dennis and Mimi Miller, and many more, 
I would not be here today living a happy, healthy life. As of July 31st, 2021, I got married to Roy Ehlert Jr., a very kind, loving man to me and our kids and to many of you. He's helped many of you. I know that because that's the kind of man that Roy is. In all my life's journey, God has been with me. And I believe the Mill Church, my best friend, and Stephanie and Bob and Laura, my Aunt Dina and Dennis and Mimi were God's provision for me and his love for me to be here. There was a time I thought I didn't need God or the church. But I feel like God has brought me through so much and he has truly been with me, even in my lowest times of losing my mother to cancer almost five years ago. Going through a divorce, my brother going to prison, all in a short time. It made me very angry for a long time, but with a lot of prayer and Zach's awesome messages, I was able to get through, it, through life. I was able to go see my brother in prison, and I realized everyone has a past and everyone has a story and needs prayer. I needed to get over my fear of things in my head with prayer and Zach's message, I did. And God has just been so good. Um, I have a, a song that I want to read to you. It's just a very short portion of it, but I think you will get the gist of it. Um, it's by Ryan Stevenson, When We All Fall Apart. And it's about somebody who has lost a loved one. And with all the COVID going around, I think we have all can relate to this song. You were 43 when you got through this news. Life will be changing. Nothing we can do. The clock is ticking now. And I can, now all I can think about is knowing I have to move on without you somehow. And I just can't believe that you're the one who's keeping it together as you hold my hand and say, it's okay to cry. It's okay to fall apart. You don't have to try to be strong when you are not. And it may not take and it may take some time to make sense of all your thoughts, but don't ever fight your tears, because there's freedom in every job. Sometimes the only way to heal a broken heart is when we fall apart. And you've got the gift of mercy. Don't ever think it's strange. Not a curse, but it's a blessing to feel other people's pain. And always love without condition and trust with all your heart. There's healing in the story of your scars. It's okay to cry. It's okay to fall apart. Don't have to try to be strong when you're not. And it may take some time to make sense of all your thoughts. But don't ever fight your tears. Because there's freedom in every drop. Sometimes the only way to heal a broken heart is when we fall apart. Sometimes the only way to heal a broken heart is when we fall apart. My name is Angela Alert, and this is my, the year of 52 stories, and Jesus is the hero of mine. Well, thank you, Angela, for sharing your story. It's uh, so cool to see God working in each of your lives. From Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, we never know uh, what someone's going through or what somebody's been through 
unless we ask them. You know, so often we are in relationships that are in a crowd, you know, this size that are superficial and hello and hi and how are you and bye and we don't really get into the nitty-gritty of one another's lives. And what is so fulfilling to me about these stories of God's faithfulness is we get to hear parts about one another's lives that we were previously unaware of and, and aloof to and how God has worked through that difficulty and trial. So I appreciate you, Angela, and your courage to share today. I know that took a lot, and we're delighted that you found Roy. He's a good man. I would agree with that. He's a little tough to look at, but he's a good man. <laughs> Just teasing. He's a handsome dude. All right, well, I'm going to read to you uh, verses 19 through 23 from Colossians 1, verses 19 through 23, and then we'll talk for a bit this morning. For in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So I'm going to jump right in today. No introduction, uh, no jokes. Uh, what does verse 19 say? It says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So here's the first takeaway from today's passage. Jesus is fully God. Will you say that with me? Jesus is fully God. This is such an important point. In him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Does the text read half the fullness of God. Three quarters. The fullness of God. No, uh, it does not. It reads all of the fullness of God. How many of you know that's a lot of God? All of God. That's a lot of God that was in Jesus Christ. How many of you, just out of curiosity, were raised on whole milk? Whole milk, not skim milk. Not the slight upgrade to 2%, but you were raised on whole milk. How many of you are just delighted when you see the red cap in the grocery store? That just makes you happy, that red cap. You look at that blue cap and you're just filled with all kinds of pejorative and negative feelings and emotions. But when you see the red cap, your eyes light up. See, that's fully milk. Now turn to your neighbor and say, did he just compare Jesus to whole milk? 
the point is that Jesus is fully God. Would you say that with me again? Jesus is fully God. In Jesus was all of God. And Jesus said he was God quite often, both vaguely and directly. Sometimes he spoke in rather concealed ways, but eventually he got right down to the point, and that's why he was killed. In fact, they came to kill him on one occasion. They came to kill him a number of times before they actually killed him, and he said, why are you going to put me to death? And they said, quote, the religious leaders of the day, because you claim to be who? To be God. So make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ was killed because, in large part, he claimed to be God. But he came back from death, so it would have saved everybody a lot of time to just let him do what he was doing and, and ignore him and, and, and hardship if they would, just would have believed him the first time instead of putting him to death. And not only did Jesus say that he was God, but of course his followers would eventually declare that he was God too. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. What does that mean? Pleased to dwell. Well, God felt right at home. God was very happy to be in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is God. Entered into human history. It's a really cool thought if you think about it in terms of story and narrative to consider that the author of the book, the very real historical book, would insert himself into his own story and leave heaven and come down to earth. It was a plan that would come to fruition. And Jesus is God. All religions are not one in the same. Did you know that Buddha never claimed to be God? Mohammed never claimed to be God. You cannot call any number and get home. There's only one number. I still remember mine growing up. 704-786-1026. I have no clue who I would get if I called 704-786-1026 today. But I remember that was my number growing up. Only one number got home. Do you think that was a mobile number? Nope, that was a landline. You remember those things? Landlines. How many of you have a landline today? Okay, six of you have landlines. Everybody else is on mobile. It's the older six of you. No, I'm just teasing. You can't call any number and get home. It's interesting that the major world religions, because we do hear people say you can take any path and get to heaven, doesn't matter what path you take, Oprah's famous for saying that, that the world religions completely contradict each other. One says we're saved by works. Another says we're saved by grace. Another says if you blow yourself up around infidels, you'll inherit a planet full of scantily clad women. They're very 
very different, okay? So you can't call any number and get home. It's impossible that all of them are true. There's, so there's got to be one that's correct. And Jesus, Jesus is the truth. So the next point that I want to uh, bring up is that Jesus is our reconciler. Can you say that with me? Jesus is our reconciler. How many of you would say at some point in my life I have had some kind of relationship severed or soured or become quite demanding or difficult? How many of you rode to church with that person? No, I'm just, don't, don't raise your hand. Just elbow them, okay? If that's the relationship you're struggling with, all right? So um, the, the reality is relationships can, can absolutely become tough. They can become odd. The gears can absolutely grind. We can become strained in our friendship. Things can get awkward, okay? The harmony can be fleeting. And here's the truth. God is holy and we are not. We are unholy. Even as his carriers, the carriers of his message on earth, we're, we're not perfect. God created us for relationship, but we've mangled them. We have um, let them fall into disrepair. Sometimes that's of no fault to our own. How many of you would say, I've had a relationship fall apart that I have had nothing to do with? That's what everybody says. All of you are nodding at me. We never think we're at fault, right? No. Some things are legit legitimately not our fault. They're out of our control, okay? So Jesus is our reconciler. And here's the thing. Our relationship with God, it gets severed too. And we get separated from him when we do something called sin. Sin breaks us off from fellowship with God. So we need reconciliation. Just like your friendship needs reconciliation, so does our relationship with the Lord. So Paul says this in verse 20, through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How do we make peace with God? How is peace with God made when that relationship is severed? When that friendship is, is taken a toll upon? Well, it's made, peace is made by the blood of his cross. So Paul begins talking about the effects of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We do not have peace with God. We are naturally at war with God. The, the predisposition of our relationship with Jesus is that we are opposed to him, meaning we want to do things our way. We want to be boss. We want to be A1. We want to be top shelf. We don't want to listen to anybody tell us what we should or shouldn't do. How many of you have a toddler like that? 
How many of you have a spouse like that? No. The truth is we become civilized the older we get, but we still have that same attitude of heart. We still have that same composure where unless we're encountered by the God who created this universe and he changes our hearts, we want to do what we want to do. And we'll throw a stink about it just like a baby if we don't get what we want. And Paul's saying the way that we fix that with God is through the peace of God which comes through the cross of Christ. The only way that what is unreconciled might be reconciled is that our sin is, is dealt with in some capacity. So God the Father, what does he do? He sends Jesus that he might turn his enemies into family. Turn his enemies, those who are pitted against him, into family. Turn to your neighbor and say this. I once was an enemy. Now I'm family. Try it again. I once was an enemy. Now I'm family. Now turn to your neighbor and say this. If he asked me to say one more thing to my neighbor. (laughs) Jesus lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we should have died. This is why John the Baptist saw Jesus coming in the Old, or rather in in the New Testament. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because in the Old Testament, what was demanded to have sins forgiven? A sacrifice of a lamb. So Jesus sees, or rather John the Baptist sees Jesus approaching, and he says to those who are with him, behold, that's the lamb of God. This was a foreshadowing of Jesus' brutal death on the cross. John knew that the Messiah must suffer to save the sins of human beings. How many of you here would die for your family? True story. Like you love your family so much you would die for them. Um, I I was just processing this in my own mind because I knew I was going to be asking you. And I'm like, yeah, I would die for my family. Like I would lay my life down for my wife, for my kids. How many of you would die for your enemy? Why are you taking longer time to think about that one? Why is that harder to respond to? Because we don't like our enemies. We think, my goodness, why would I lay a good life down for a bad one? What would be noble in that? How is that fair? How is that righteous? And yet, what makes the cross of Christ so inspiring is that Jesus died for you when you were his enemy, not his friend. You were unlovable. You were unbecoming. You were unrighteous. And yet, Jesus died. It's at the cross that we see, my goodness, God loves even those that hate him. He even said, God forgive them, those who are putting him to death, for they know not what they do. So as Christians, we have a remarkable change in our identity 
We were enemies of God. Now we belong to the family of God. This is why in ancient cities, when they're doing uh, archaeological digs, excavations today, they find above the door or on the door frame of Christians etched in stone a cross. Why did Christians put this on their home? They were saying effectively, if you're a believer, you're my family now. We're in the family of God now. Our race is no longer our primary identifier. Our gender is no longer our primary identifier. Our class, our social class, our economic class, it's no longer the key thing that identifies us. If you have been bought by the blood of Christ, recognize on my doorframe that I'm a Christian too and come inside. You're welcome here. Your family. You belong with the people of God. This is why I don't presume that this is the case for all of you, but this is why many people express I feel more at home at church on Sundays than I do at my family reunion. I feel like I'm a part of family more on Sundays than I do in my own kitchen. That's sadder yet. But true for some people. The Christians were saying, come on in. And when we experience that in church, it's because your identity as a, as a Bruzewitz or as a Burris or as a Reason or as a Schmidt or as a Dinfeld or as a Pup has loosened its grip when you become a follower of Christ and you start to realize, my goodness, my family is bigger than my family. My, my family is more loving than my family. My family is more forgiving than my family. I received this email last Sunday. Pastor, after first, I guess it was on Monday, after first service yesterday, I found myself in a short period of observance while in the sanctuary. A kid or two running around gleefully without care, adults greeting each other, talking, laughing, some hugging, laughter occurring, music playing, you with a young man sitting on the platform talking and praying. All of this was happening around me. There was no noise. I was merely taking it all in via slow motion for a few seconds. And it occurred to me how this is a healthy example of the church. Full of life, not stoic behavior. Always positioned to intimately share Jesus with someone in the middle of whatever is occurring. So here's what I would say to you guys. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus and you don't have an inner peace with God, the only way to find peace is to acknowledge that you're a sinner and that Jesus alone is your Savior. That he paid the price for your sin. 
on the cross so that you did not have to pay for your sin in hell. He paid for your sin on the cross again so that you didn't have to pay for your sin in hell. One way or the other, a debt has to be paid. It's the way the system works. For the wages of sin is death. The payment that's necessary for our sin is death. So I'd ask you, do you want Jesus to pay your debt for you? Or do you want to pay the debt yourself? Either way, the debt must be paid. There is a theological position called universalism. And it teaches that Jesus died for everybody. And it draws strength in part from verses like the one that I read uh, a moment ago, verse 20, through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. So they say all things. So they do something called text proofing. They have an agenda and they find texts that fit in neatly with their agenda and they cherry pick them out of the Bible to support their agenda. Are you aware that you can, you can cherry pick verses out of the Bible to support a lot of things that are anti-Bible? If you don't take the Bible in its full context, what we call the whole counsel of God, you can cherry pick and promote slavery if you choose. You can cherry pick and promote misogyny if you choose. You can cherry pick and promote racial supremacy if you choose. If you don't understand the broader narrative, if you don't understand that you can choose to be a polygamist with biblical support, if you choose. But what do we see for those that chose polygamy? We see all kinds of hell happening, ensuing. And we see God repeatedly speaking out against it. So you can choose a lot of things in the scripture and, and undergird them with, with sought-after verses and not be following the will or the word of God. And one of the ways that people do that is through the doctrine of universalism. Jesus died for everything. Jesus died for everyone. Everything, everyone, all of them go to heaven. There is no hell. Everybody gets to be safe forever. Is that true? No, that is not true. In fact, Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else. Jesus quotes Daniel 12 too, which says, the multitudes are sleeping. The dust of the earth will arise, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting shame and contempt. So we are, to be sure, all going to live forever. The difference is, the distinction is, where are we going to live forever? In Revelation 14, 11, 
we read this. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. Does everyone go to heaven? No, they do not. See, some people struggle with the question, and I get it. Um, How could a loving God send people to hell? And if if you ask me, the greater, more probing question is, how could a good God take somebody like me to heaven? How could that happen? See, we shouldn't be confused by hell any more than we're confused by our criminal justice system. When people do something bad, what happens in the United States of America? We're not talking hell. We're talking about our current society. They are locked up. They're put away. Sometimes for the rest of their days. So the profound question in my mind is along these lines. Why would God love us? Why would God seek us? Why would God pursue Angela in Minnesota? And bring her around a loving family and a church family and a friend. Why would would God save or at a minimum put up with me? Why would he just zing? I mean, I was owed that a number of times. Zing! See ya, Burris. How many of you would be honest and say, I'm a bit of a piece of work? Yet God has invited me into his family. You and I to summarize, don't get to look at God and judge him as if that's our place. We need to look at God and marvel at the truth that we've been invited into peace with him. So when the text says all things will be reconciled, it's not talking about universalism. In its context, it's talking about all things being brought under God's authority. Even subjugation is a way of bringing about peace. God will reconcile some By bringing them into peace through his cross, he will reconcile others by subjugating them. Me, I would rather have peace with God than be subjugated by him. I would rather bow now than be told to bow later. I would rather say with joy and gratitude, 
Jesus is Lord, than to say with fear and trembling, Jesus is Lord. Out of terror. That being said, I want you to know I love you. Did you know I don't write the mail or edit it? I just deliver it. It's in God's word. He loves you. He's invited you to share in eternity with him. For God so loved the world. The world. In one sense, he is a universalist in that he gave everybody the same invitation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. My last point today is that Jesus is the only Savior. Will you say that with me? Jesus is the only Savior. There is no plan B. There is no other option. There is no other path. Verses 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body, the flesh, by his death, in order to present you with evil deeds, holy and blameless and above reproach before himself. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What is he doing? He's showing us, have you ever seen before and after pics of a home renovation, of a weight loss plan, of a workout routine? Paul's showing us the before and after pics of what it looks like to meet Jesus Christ. He says, before you meet the Lord, you're argumentative, you're resistant, you're self-righteous. How many of you know there's a tiny little attorney that all of us have in our heads that's constantly defending us to ourselves? Taking our case, speaking on our behalf, you know, Zach, he's wrong and you're right. You know, Zach, you do know what's best for you and for others. And God would say, don't argue with me. Listen to me. Your mind is, is hostile. It resists truth. You fight the facts. You deny reality. Your ways are evil. And we bristle. And we say, well, I don't think my ways are evil, pastor. And I would say, that's how we know how evil we are. We don't even think our ways are evil. That's how bad we are. That's how deceived we are, right? We think we're fine. We think we're distinguished. We think we're above a need for grace. We're deserving. 
We must meet God's standards. And what Paul is saying is before you knew Jesus, you had a head problem. That's the way that you thought. But when you meet Jesus, you get a new mind. And it's not one that's, that's replete with pride. It's one that's replete with humility. And you're no longer conformed by the patterns of this world. You're transformed. You're renewed. You start to think differently. And you see Jesus differently as your Savior. And you see yourself differently as somebody that's in need of a savior and you see God's word differently not as a rule book but as a love letter and this leads to a change of heart what you used to love you no longer love what you used to hate you no longer hate just out of curiosity would anybody here say what I used to love I no longer love anybody I used to love booze I used to love sex I used to love all kinds of evil I no longer do only two of you help me out here let's just show people that that this is what God does this is how God changes us now how many of you would say I no longer hate what I used to hate I no longer hate the things of God I no longer hate the commands of God I know that they're good for me see So Paul's saying you get transformed. Now you just want to be with the Lord. Now now you just want to be with God's people. Now you just want to be like the Lord. To honor him with your relationships. To honor him with your finances. To honor him in your vocation. It's, it's, It's a full transformative process. And this changes how we treat people, of course. And it changes how we conduct ourselves in relationships, of course, and it changes what we do with our possessions, of course. And Paul says, this lifelong process will continue until you reach the finish line. Until you die and enter heaven, you will continue to be sanctified. Your mind will continue to be renewed. And Paul's saying, so you need to evaluate yourself and ask yourself, am I really continuing in the faith? Because it's awesome that you were born into a Christian home and it's great that you were baptized and it's cool that you listen to 89Q in the car on your way to work. But you know what? Are you continuing to be developed into Christ-likeness? Are you continuing in the faith? Because you know what? Judas Iscariot had a great run. Until the end. Are you going the way of Peter who says. At a martyr's death. Please crucify me upside down. Because I couldn't possibly die. In the same way as my Lord. Out of reverence for Jesus. Are you that stable in your faith? Steadfast. Not sitting not getting off course, not losing your way committed to the end? Or are you going the way of Judas? You're around Jesus' people. You're seeing Jesus' provision on a regular basis. 
You're even hearing Jesus' instruction on Sundays, but you have a problem in your mind and you know in your heart of hearts that you don't love him. You betray him in a heartbeat. See, church, the true children of God are revealed not on the first day, but on the last day. I have a problem in my heart. You might say, I don't long for him. I have a problem with my hands. I betray him. Paul's trying to show us the reality that we do not see yet is the reality that we will be locked in forever. Because if you were going to see Jesus right now, you would not see a homeless, humble, Galilean peasant. You would see Jesus ascended. You would see him ruling. You would see him reigning. You would see him worshipped by a multitude of angels, not lacking anything. The image of God, the ruler, the creator, the eternal, the sustainer, the head of the church, fully alive, fully God, the reconciler, the only Savior. Will you bow to him now? Will you submit to him now? Lord, my life is yours. Lord, I'll do whatever you do, whatever you tell me to do. I'll go wherever you tell me to go. I'll send whomever you tell me to send. I just want to be your hands and feet on this earth. Amen? If that's your prayer today, I just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I just want to go where Jesus tells me to go and do what Jesus tells me to do. Would you raise your hand this morning? I'm just going to do a different kind of altar call. If you just want to love the Lord and do whatever he tells you, just raise your hand. Just put it high in the air. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would bless those who respond, who want to do your will today. Lord, fill them with energy. Lord, let them go the way of Peter, not Judas. Lord, help them to stay strong until the end, to be committed until the last day. Lord, fill them with your spirit. Lord, give them the words to say at work in pressure situations. Lord, when they err, when they become arrogant and prideful, speak to them, Holy Spirit. Lord, give them humility to apologize to the human beings that you love and have created that are under their care. Lord, help us to respect our employers and be honest and diligent with our time that we're being paid for. Lord, I just pray that we would honor you. Do everything as unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.